Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you, no matter where you are on your journey towards Christ. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Thanks for listening. This morning, if this is your first time or your first time in a long time, I'm glad that you're here. There's a connection card in the seat back in front of you. You can use that if you would uh, fill that out, and you can put those in the offering boxes as you leave if you're a guest here. Also, what a great way to communicate prayer requests. And so thank you for uh, just call, you know, having faith to say, listen, I'm going I'm to ask God to, to come into this situation. And so we use those cards for prayer requests. Thank you for sharing that we do pray, and God is answering prayer in these days. Again, uh, this week, this morning, we start a series uh, of, of services. Grow 23 is what we're calling it, and we're expanding our faith, nurturing our faith, trusting God to help us to grow. This morning, uh, in both services, tonight at 6.30, we'll be meeting right back here in, in the worship center, and hope that you have planned for that. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night, 6.30, right here. We're going to spend some time um, in God's Word. We're going to spend time together in the Lord's presence. I believe that God wants to show us something and teach us, change our lives. And so there's been a lot of prayer and uh, anticipation in these days. Well, I'm, so, I'm glad you're here. Can you turn to somebody and just tell them you're glad they're here? Just do that. So, I didn't tell you to get carried away. <laughs> Goodness. Respond however God leads you in these days. Um, a response to his word and to his spirit. That's what we're after. It's a privilege this morning to introduce uh, three men to you who are going to be sharing in these days. I'm going to ask Jim and Gerald, Dennis, uh, to join me this morning. They're going to, uh, Gerald and, and Dennis are going to say a couple of things. Uh, Brother Jim is going to be preaching this morning. Now these guys have, um, they have letters in front of their names and they have letters behind their names, um, <laughs> reverends and doctors and all of that. But um, I hope that you know and just sense their heart and uh, the Spirit of God within them. Um, for those that are uh, familiar with the Missionary Church Tribe, you would recognize these names. Um, these, these are guys who uh, have, have been consistent, uh, have been faithful, and are still serving the Lord in significant ways. Um, I'm believing that some of their greatest ministry is going to be this week, right? Some of the greatest ministry of your lives, I'm, I'm praying that God does that this week and that God uses you in a way that blesses you. But I know that um, God will be blessed and I know that, that we will be blessed. So this morning, uh, Jim Keller is going to be preaching the Word. Give your attention to the Word and to the Spirit as Jim speaks. Gerald and, and Brother Dennis are going to be just sharing a, a, a little bit. I wanted you to hear from them this morning, uh, just a glimpse of what we can come to expect in the, in, in, in the coming days. But uh, would you help me welcome Jim, Gerald, and Dennis this morning? 
God bless you. Well, good morning, church. It's a delight to be with you this morning. Uh, a verse of scripture that has become very real to me over the course of preparation the last several months is a verse that's found in Psalm 105 and verse 4. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Uh, actually, look to the Lord. It means to seek with care, if you look in the Hebrew. And then uh, we not only seek the Lord and his strength, but we are to seek his face. The ESV says, seek his presence continually. And I think that's a good word to us as we begin this, uh, this time together of seeking God's face, seeking his presence. We're all aware theologically that God is everywhere, but there are those moments in history when God, in a very special way, has stepped down from heaven and his presence has been made manifest amongst the people of God. And I, I just sense that there's a great anticipation these days. Uh, we were pleasantly surprised last night by a prayer meeting, a goodly number of people who gathered. And you all have been seeking God for quite a while, and you want to see the manifest presence of God. Uh, I remember a story that I read many years ago, shared by an evangelist by the name of Tom, Tommy Tenney. And he was ministering in a megachurch down in Houston, Texas. And there was a spirit of revival that was beginning to settle in on that congregation. And that morning before he got up to speak, which by the way, he never spoke. Uh, the Holy Spirit spoke instead. And it was a massive outpouring of the Spirit of God. But before he was scheduled to get up to speak, the pastor leaned over and he said, Brother Tommy, would you mind if I just read a verse of Scripture? And he said, uh, feel free, brother. And he got up and read 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And Tommy said immediately when that happened, there was a clap of thunder, literally, in the sanctuary that morning. That morning, and he was the pastor was standing behind an acrylic pulpit that split right down the middle. The pulpit fell forward, and the presence and power of God hit the pastor. He was thrown back on his back on the carpet on the podium. And, and Tommy Tenney said the only reason we knew the guy was alive was because he was wiggling his thumbs. And uh, needless to say, Tommy said, we didn't have to give an altar call. He said, people just began to come in droves. And not only did that happen, but what happened uh, uh, in addition to that was that, you know, all of a sudden it's time for second service, and, and people are still at the altar seeking God. And the, the presence of God was so real in that place that people getting out of their cars in the parking lot could sense that God was up to something. And uh, as a result, the service went into the wee hours of Monday morning of divine visitation. And none of us are here today to dictate to God what he wants to do or needs to do in this place. The Holy Spirit knows. And uh, we're just here to applaud the work of the Holy Spirit. I shared with Pastor Dan, uh, my finger's in the air. 
just wanting to catch the winds and the breezes of the Holy Spirit and be obedient. Far too long, we have been seeking God's favor. We've been looking at his hand. Or maybe we've been writhing in the dust at his feet out of guilt and shame. But God is calling us during these days to seek his face, to seek his presence. Jim, I think this pulpit's going to hold together. I don't, it looks pretty solid. <laughs> you may look up here and see 225 years collectively of life experience, but when we look at ourselves, we see three broken old men. And six months ago, when my brother reached out to me and said, hey, uh, Dan Miller would be interested in us coming to speak on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I thought maybe Pastor Miller was going through a nervous breakdown of some sort. What is he thinking? But you know, God chooses his servants sometimes in a surprising nature. The last month or so, I keep finding myself repeating that old hymn of invitation, Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. And that's been my prayer. Lord, I want to know you're going to do a great work at the Summit Church in Niles, Michigan. But Lord, start with me. Start with me. And he has been working in my heart. And I pray over the next few days and weeks and months and years that he will do the same in each and every one of our hearts. God has something for us. What it is, I don't really know. Like Gerald, I've got my finger in the air as well, but I'm waiting upon the Lord, and we can do so without a sense of fear. Thank you, Jesus. Dennis. Mike's on. We'll get something on here pretty soon. Okay. But I wanted Dennis to stay with me, and uh, we, it was the end of July or early August when um, Gerald called us about coming to do this conference, and um, I knew within about two minutes after he mentioned that Dan Miller wanted to have this conference on the Spirit, I knew he wanted us to be there. I just knew it, and that there is a, there is a timing, there is a a sense of God's leading in all of us coming together during these days. Amen. And let's just pause right here. I want to ask Dennis to lead us in prayer as we enter into time in the Word. And let's just open up our hearts to the presence of the Lord in this room. Mm. Are you ready for this? Mm. Let's just open our hearts up for the glory of God to come and to touch us. Children, our youth and young students, us as adults and grandpas and grandmas, let's just be open to the Holy Spirit as he comes to visit with us and talk with us. Father, we enter into your presence and we have done so with thanksgiving and praise and an attitude of worship. But in many ways, we're like a small child named Samuel who heard your voice in the middle of the night, didn't recognize it at first, 
but finally said, Speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. And Lord, that's the prayer that we pray today. Speak, for your servants hear you. We're listening, dear Lord. We're expecting, dear Lord. We've been in prayer. We've been waiting upon you. And Lord, your deliverance often comes in different manners than whatever we expect. So Father, I pray that you would surprise us with your Holy Spirit, that you would pour out your Spirit upon this church, upon each one of us, individually and collectively. And Lord, I know this morning as my brother comes that you've placed a hand of anointing upon him. And I pray that as he speaks the truth, that the truth in turn will set us free. I pray this in the strong and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Gerald. Yep. Good day. Well, some of you probably brought a Bible with you to church today. We're in Luke chapter 11, if you turn to that. I love your theme, Seeking God, God's Holy Spirit Together. And... Uh, so I've sought to honor that theme. And uh, let me just say a couple of things. It's always a little intimidating to come and to meet new friends and to come into a church you've never been to before. But the spirit of worship, I want you to know my heart is just blessed today. I'm open. I can hardly stand up here right now. And um, Gerald Dennis and I, we really are not here to impress you. We're really not very impressive. <laughs> we just love the Lord. We love what God can do in a life and what he's done in our life when we just open up in full surrender and complete, utter uh, dependence on him. But seeking God's spirit, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit, um, and most of the time the Holy Spirit loves to be in the background and doesn't want a lot of the tension. The main attention belongs to the Father. The Father's greatest gift was the Son, the greatest gift that was given, our Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one who enables us and has come and lives in us. And it's all part of the Father's plan and the, and the Son's plan that he would come. But as we you know, enter into this, our openness is so important. What we've noticed here is that you have a tremendous, a great, open-heartedness to the Lord. It starts with your pastor, and we get acquainted with him and your, many of your staff members. Yesterday, we met in a log cabin church on Bethel University campus for prayer, and just getting acquainted with them and feeling their hearts. And then last night in the prayer, the guys have been talking about it. Just sense that, the, that your, your heart is open. Um, it was said in one area of this, the area around Galilee, where Jesus grew up in the town of Nazareth, that when he wanted to go back there, he couldn't do many miracles. It says this in, in Matthew 13, 58. And he did not do many miracles there because of the lack of faith. And some of you know what happened there when he visited there and revealed himself as the fulfillment of the prophecy of the coming Messiah. And they rejected it, and they even got angry at him, and they tried to murder him and kill him and throw him over a cliff. He couldn't go back to that area. It was just closed. But you know, there's another area in the area of Gennesaret near the Sea of Galilee, 
And just a little bit later, Jesus was there, and he went there, and it says there that um, the people brought the sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all of them who were touched were healed. So there was a great openness in the Gennesaret in the sea close to this Lake of Galilee as opposed to Nazareth. And I just sense this openness in you. I believe in geographical, cultural openness to God and that it makes a difference in how God responds to our needs. And that goes for your home and your family, your household and the openness to God, and, and he just loves to come and bless people who are open and surrendered to him. So here we are together, and um, you know, we, we stand before you uh, humbly and broken, and when, you, I was just thinking of this, guys, that you know, when you're asked to come and do a conference on the Holy Spirit for a little while, you, it really puts a sense of responsibility on, on one. And I've just felt, and I know Dennis and Gerald, we've talked over the last few months quite often, and over the years we talk a lot to each other about how the Lord has helped us in our, in our relationship to God. And, and But this most recently has just been the, this sense of, you've got to get ready for this, individually, personally. And so we all feel this very seriously about, about getting ready and being ready for this. And I want to share with you this passage because this passage in Luke 11 is, illustrates this theme and teaches this theme that you, you've chosen for yourself about seeking God's Holy Spirit together. Um, and it takes place, Luke 11 takes place there in the, in the village of Bethany. And it was the place of uh, Mary and Martha, the sisters to not so famous yet, Lazarus, their brother, who later on was risen from the grave and, and brought alive by Jesus. But uh, it became home to Jesus in the final days of his ministry. And so in Luke 11, we're not in the last week yet, but we're in the last months of Jesus' three plus years of ministry, public ministry. And, um, and in this passage, it, it just kind of opens up, opens up what uh, the plan of Jesus to unleash his spirit upon people. It's in the step, this whole passage is, is uh, very, uh, it's sequential. And it's, it's, there's several steps to it, and so I'm going to ask you to climb these steps with me that we just walked up here. And it's, it's, the first step is this, is that Jesus is in a place, a certain place of prayer. And um, the disciples are with him. It could have been in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in, in the, one of the favorite places of his, just east of Jerusalem in the Mount of Olives, because Bethany was right nearby, within a, mi a mile or so of their walk. And so, but he's off praying in this certain place, unnamed, but, and they very likely could have uh, observed him in prayer. They may have heard him in prayer, but they're very interested 
in learning how to pray. And they make a very bold request to him. And I think I have this scripture, and what I'm going to do, instead of reading all 13 verses right now, we're going to just go through it gradually. Because it says right there in front of us, when he finished in prayer, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John, referring to John the Baptist, taught his disciples to pray. And so, uh, now we don't know a whole lot about how John the Baptist taught his disciples, but we know a little bit about his personality. And uh, John the Baptist probably um, was telling his guys, you know, you guys need to march, you need to kneel, you need to, uh, you need to look somber, and you need to uh, look really serious and eat grasshoppers or do something like that fast, whatever. So whatever, however John the Baptist taught his disciples pray, we don't know. But the disciples make this statement in the imperative mood. I mean, it's like a command, and it's almost like not out of authority over Jesus, but it's almost like, Jesus, you've got to teach us how to pray. I mean, it's a strong thing. It's not, Jesus, would you please teach, will you please show us how to pray? It's stronger than that. It's got this strength to it. And so they're, they're kind of, I think, as Jesus comes to the end of his earthly trail, they're probably getting a little nervous. Jesus, you've got to teach us how to pray. So we'll at least call it a bold request from his disciples at this point. Step two. Step two is the Lord's Prayer. And um, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but, and you notice in the, in the passage, and I just opened up the first verse of it, when you pray, say this, and say this, say this, say this. Most of us know the Lord's Prayer. I think we have this posted, some notes for you on the, on the, on the app, and maybe there's a few copies here, have here somewhere. But this, there's a whole study here I've laid out for you on uh, a good approach to the Lord's Prayer and discovering six basic principles to it. And I've just given one uh, here in this, uh, in this, on the slide. But it, it's a pattern for prayer and some principles in prayer that Jesus is offering to them to build their prayer life upon. So he gives them some words. He gives them a pattern. Step three, Jesus tells the story of prayer. And so there's a parable here. And by the way, the material in Luke, about Luke 10 through almost Luke, all of Luke 18, is material in the four Gospels, in Luke's Gospels, that's not in any of the other three Gospels. It's unique to Luke. And uh, Luke, once again, is, you recall, some of you, that uh, he was the author of the history of the book of Acts, and, and uh, he has this interest in history. And uh, Luke here in this story is preserved several different pieces of the traditional, of the stories that came to him, this parable, many of the parables. I call this the midnight friend story, parable. And we call them parables because they teach a truth, a single truth. And in this parable, the midnight friend, hypothetical, it's not true, it's an illustration that Jesus gives, 
uh, there's a friend inside the door, inside his house. And in those days, in the Bible times, families very often were all gathered together. They had mats on the floor. Uh, of the, a lot of times, dirt floor. Some of the times, the livestock were even in the house or around the edges of it when they all lived together. So they're bedded down at night, and everybody goes to bed at the same time, and everybody falls asleep. And this guy's got a knock on the door, and um, it's a friend outside the door. And he, exp- he needs three loaves of bread because he has some late-night visitors from out of town. And in that culture, you took care of your friends when they came to visit you from out of town. It was a part of the cultural expectations. So the friend inside's got his whole family, kids, whatever, livestock in there asleep, and he doesn't want to come to the door and kind of rejects the situation. And, um, but the friend inside uh, knows that he has an obligation, and you have the story in front of us, uh, but Jesus is making a point, and he breaks out of the story, and he explains in verse 8, uh, this, when he says, I tell you, Jesus is amplifying what he's trying to get through to the little story, He says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of his friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Jesus amplifies it. Shameless audacity. And some of your translators call it shameless persistence. shamelessness. The King James Bible uses the word importunity, and nobody knows what that means, so we have this word about shameless persistence. In other words, because the friend outside the door was pleading so passionately, so desperately, and wouldn't give up, the friend inside the door will get up, Jesus says, to make a point about his story, will get up at the risk of waking up his whole family and provide what is needed. The key point. God is not the grouchy guy inside the door, frustrated that his friend came knocking at midnight. He's not that guy. But Jesus is making a point here that the focus is on the guy outside the door with this persistence approach coming to his friend that he needs help. Now, why this emphasis by Jesus as he tells this story, why this emphasis upon this persistence, consistent, desperate pleading at the door? Uh, A lot of people comment on this and try to discover that. Why would the Lord, why wouldn't it be just, Jesus, would you do this for me? And he just magically does it, like a genie coming out of a bottle, answering all of our prayers, just kind of magically every time we ask. It doesn't work that way in the kingdom. And there's a reason for that, because I think there's a process, in this process, persistence and waiting upon God and seeking God, it has a boomerang effect. Because in this, in this time that it takes to seek and to reach out to the Lord and to be persistent at it and not to give up. In that time, 
He's working on our character. And he's, he's working in the circumstances surrounding our prayer request or whatever we're seeking. And he's, he's working to build his holiness and his, his righteousness and his character into our lives as we dig, as we beg, as we see our need, and as we gain perspective on it. So this time of persistence and seeking the Lord and not giving up uh, is important. I have a friend, his name is John Eaton. He's with the Lord now. But he lived his whole life up into his late 60s. He was almost 70 when he passed away just about a year and a half or two ago. He was a childhood friend of mine, Johnny was. And as a kid, we grew up and at Brown City Camp and in our local church. I always prayed for Johnny. He never really responded to Christ during his teen years. And he was... Uh, he was just stubborn. He was just a hard guy. But I, I always felt kind of like I was a missionary to Johnny, even in my church growing up. And we were buddies in that camp and so on. But I just kept working with Johnny and just praying for him and befriending him. His mother prayed for years. John went through about three marriages. His second wife was murdered. He had two children by his second wife. But in the last six months of his life, we happened to move, Brenda and I moved to where he lived in Grand Blanc, Michigan, just south of the Flint area. And I know, and I kind of dawned on me, I learned through the grapevine, Johnny lived in Grand Blanc. And so we got back together and we kind of went through an experience mutually where he was fighting prostate cancer and and so we met over that for breakfast. We talked. I talked to John about his faith. It, it, and and uh, his mother over the years never quit praying for him. Cleo, she just prayed for her son to come to Christ. You know, in the last few months as we prayed, and he, he went down, God chose not to heal him. And, and, and he went into very, he went into hospice care. But you know, in that last, about the fourth month before he passed away, Johnny led himself to Christ. <laughs> he knew what to do. His mother, he, he you know, and, and I, I was visiting with Johnny one day. I said, Johnny, I just, I just want to know you're ready. He said, Jim, I just want you to know I led myself to the Lord. I knew what to do. I knew what to pray. <laughs> and I'm ready to go. <laughs> and I just, I'm telling him, we had a party his wife was there in the room, and she was ministered to through this and drawn to the Lord. But Johnny came to Christ, his mother praying for him for 60 years that he would know the Lord, and he comes to know Christ. You have somebody. So in that persistence, but we're all waiting upon God, family members and different ones. Uh, you know, this fourth step is this intensity of prayer in verse 9 and 10. Um, so I say to you, Jesus further teaches in this passage, this is the next step, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be open. So Jesus now is teaching uh, beyond this story of prayer and teaching of persistence. Now he's talking about this intensity of prayer. You notice the 
the verbs here, ask, seek, and knock. I'm sure your pastor's taught in this passage, and you, you, you feel the growing intensity and the progression of it. The promised response is the same. You ask, you receive, you seek, you find, and you knock, and the door will be opened. What's, by the way, what's the difference between in verses 9 and 10? If you notice in your scripture, Jesus switches in 10. He says, for everyone who asks, receive. After he's talking to the disciples, if you, he says to everyone, and maybe the message is to the disciples, not just them, because Jesus is starting to teach this prayer principle beyond the disciples and beyond the Jewish nation and to the Gentiles and to the world. And he's opened these things up. He said, but it, everyone who asks receives. So he opens it up. But the key point is this. The kind of prayer we're talking about here is not coming to God, demanding of him anything. It's more this picture of a beggar coming coming to the generous giver who has invited us to come, to come and to ask and to seek and to knock. What does the intensity of prayer really mean? I mean, what does it mean practically in our lives to be intense in prayer, progressively increasing? And you've, some of you have had this experience where you start out with a prayer at the mealtime and say, Jesus, would you bless Doug going through this time. Brent and I are praying for Doug right now. He's in the hospital, a minister friend. And then you start to get more serious about it. And sometimes it means more frequency in prayer, the intensity. Sometimes it means posture in prayer. There was one of the sisters was just laid out right on the platform, just waiting before the Lord last night. Posture in prayer can express intensity. Um, your voice loud in prayer, your voice, it can be quiet or loud or crying out to God. Uh, there's a theme in Scripture about crying out to God and reaching out to the Lord with your voice. It can mean uh, the amount of time given in prayer, fasting. Um, it can be uh, uh, the focus of attention over time, never letting go can be tears of grief and desperation that come out of you. Intensity in prayer can be a never give up attitude. And on and on, this, this, this seeking that Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer, and now he's teaching you and I, it, is, it, it can be come in different ways. Step five, we're, we're climbing a mountain now. We're getting to verse 13, it's coming. But step five is here for us in front of us. And Jesus is teaching about the goodness and the generosity of God. And it says this, which of you fathers? If your son asks, now, the other version of this back in, oh, where's it back? It's back in, the other, in one of the other gospels. I don't have it right in front of me right now. It talks about for bread. Some of the older manuscripts add, and some of your translations would add, if your son asks for bread, will you give him a stone or a fish? Will you give him a snake instead? If he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, 
though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give to those who ask him? Now, I brought something with me today, and this might be a little corny for some of you, but I don't care. Um, you know, but I, Jesus was very graphic in his illustrations, and, and he brought out, and I don't know if he had a loaf with him, but maybe it was a loaf of bread, because I brought a loaf of bread for us today. But he's trying to illustrate this goodness and generosity God. So if you ask the Lord for bread, do you think the Lord's going to give you a stone? I'm not going to do that. He's a generous and a loving God that just loves us. Now, a fish, fish, I've got a little fish with me today. I brought it like this, my rainbow trout hanging in my man cave. If you, if you ask for a fish, which is a staple, these were staples, these were the main foods for them. And the fish, if he's going to bring you a fish, Will he give you a, will he give you a snake? I brought a little snake with me. That's why I had to have this in a box. Would he bring a snake? No way. A serpent? If you ask for fish? I'll put him right back down in there. Or, if he asks for an egg. Did you know an egg is a superfood? You say, all the nutrients, you can live right off an egg. But if you ask for an egg, would, give, would the Father give you a what? Well, I got a little guy in here. I got him in a special little box. And I got I to gotta handle him carefully. But would he give you a, watch it, buddy. Would he give you a scorpion? I don't know if Jesus had any children near him or not. I'm going to put him back right away. He's going to bite me. So Jesus is teaching through a little humor probably, a little graphic. He's teaching about the lavish love of God. He says, no, there's no way. God's into bread. He's into the genuine food that satisfies, that nourishes deeply. And he's just open. He wants to love on us. How lavish, how great. I love the passage in, in 1 John 3, 1, how great and lavish the love of the Father that he's lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. In that verse, the word great and lavish are double whammy words. They just talk about this big heart of God to lavish us with love. And then he proved it, of course, when he went to the cross and rose from the grave. For God so loved the world that he gave. He's a generous and a loving God. There's no way he's going to... He even in delayed answers of prayer... And sometimes we don't see our answers to prayer in our lifetime. But the Almighty is working on behalf of his children constantly. When my son was young, about nine or ten years of age, um, we bought him one of those remote control cars. And back in that day, and now, now he's up here, he's 40-some years old, 42 years old. He's my man now. But he was my son then. 
And we bought him one of those remote control cars. And where we lived at that day, we had a concrete driveway, and it went out into a blacktop street, side street. So he's running that car. First time, got it out of the box. Cost me 50 bucks. Back then, it was like 150 bucks today, back then. And he's running that car, runs down in the ditch, comes up out on the road, and just as he put it, it went out on the street, and a car went right by, ran right over it, smashed it into 100 pieces. Right in front of us. And I'm telling you, we were shocked. I looked down at that kid, and the, his, he just melted in trauma for that, that little boy when that car ran over his brand-new birthday present when the car walked by. Now, how long do you think it took for Dad to figure out a way and went in and talked to Mom? We gotta find a Radio Shack and we gotta replace that thing. And I'm telling you, I didn't care if it cost, you know, it was a $50 item. Once again, I said it was like 150 bucks today. And and I'm telling you, I got, the, I got to a Radio Shack so fast you couldn't <laughs> and replace that. And we kept the old one for parts, you know. <laughs> but it's the, the heart of the Father, the heart of the Father. Get a good glimpse of the heart of the Father this, that really is open and generous. Step six, we're still climbing up to the verse 13. We're going to get there. Verse 6 is this, this thought. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, and he means by that, if you then, as a human being, were imperfect in our nature and tainted by sin, but if you then know how to give good gifts to your Father, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, that's the reason why I call this the ultimate prayer promise. That's the, name, that's the title of this message. The ultimate prayer promise. And so all of this teaching in this whole passage, talking to us about prayer, and the intensity of it, the, the progressive nature of, of intensity, the goodness and generosity of God, all of it is designed to prepare us for the number one focus of our prayers that he wanted his disciples then and his disciples now to be focused on, namely a prayer for the Spirit of God to come upon their lives. Hmm. The Holy Spirit. Uh, back, by the way, this passage, back in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which was about two years earlier from this, uh, Jesus put it this way, how much more will your Father in heaven uh, give good gifts to those who ask him? And now, approximately, probably a little more than two years later, he's graduated in his teaching an unveiling of his concerns for the disciples as he prepares to go to the cross. 
any focus on the Holy Spirit who asked him. This is the ultimate gift that anyone could ever ask of the Heavenly Father. Just get ready. It's not your surgery coming up, and we need to pray for your surgery. It's not for the ailment that you've got right now in your life. And believe me, we've all got something going on that we need prayer for and we need healing for. Bern and I are constantly praying over people that have needs like that. But when it comes down to the priorities of the kingdom, Jesus wants us to focus on his spirit working in our lives and working in our hearts. And so why does he do this now here for the last section of this? Jesus is expanding and deepening his teaching on the Holy Spirit as he enters into the last phase of ministry. Here we are. Remember, we're on the Mount of Olives. Jesus just been in prayer and he's instructing the disciples on preparing them. And there's been no teaching on the Holy Spirit for a couple of years, as far as we know, very little, if any, since John the Baptist and his prophecy at the baptism of Jesus, when he says, I baptize you with water, John the Baptist said, for repentance, but after me comes one who's more powerful than I, and I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals or untie them. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so that's John the Baptist, the guy that ate grasshoppers. So Jesus is unloading, he is unveiling, he's unpacking, and he's unwrapping his greatest gift. The Father's greatest gift, we mentioned earlier, was the Son. The Son's greatest gift to us is the presence of his Spirit in our lives that he's given to us all. Hmm, why else is Jesus doing this? Some of this is kind of a, a, some of the context. I've been, I've been studying Holy Spirit lately on the context of the Gospels. And we learn a lot more in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. And then, of course, you get into Acts and then the epistles, you learn much more detail. And Gerald and, and Dennis will do some more teaching in some of those areas. But, but right here, I just want us to keep focused on this, this teaching time. Jesus is teaching about the various roles of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Trinity is right here all in these 13 verses. And he's all over the Gospels, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Don't let anybody talk you out of the Trinity, the Godhead, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Don't let anybody talk you out of that. I've had to work with some Jesus-only people in the past, trying to convince them they're missing it, you know. The Scriptures are very clear. Most obvious here, another point I'd like to make here is that Luke 11, Jesus is teaching that a relationship with the Holy Spirit is to be sought, it's to be searched for, craved, hunted, hungered for, thirsted for. All of his teaching on this hungering and thirsting and seeking is focused on the Spirit. And he's, he's saying he wants us to be this way. The fourth from the last verse from the Bible says this, the Spirit and the Bride, the Son, say, come. And let the one who hears say, 
come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life, come. The last verses in the Bible. You were born to hunger for God's Spirit. We were all born. Not, we were born by water, and we were born again to hunger for God and to seek God and His Son and the Holy Spirit. Oh, God, help us. And you as a church were born to seek the Spirit. You as a church are. I really am so thankful for your open attitude. For the disciple and the follower of Christ, there is always more of God to hunger for. You know what I've noticed? I've noticed whenever we talk about the Holy Spirit at the camp meetings, and I've led dozens and dozens, probably up to hundreds now, of camp meeting services over my life. And whenever it comes to teaching on the Holy Spirit, people just go, uh, they go guarded. They get silent. They get, they think, they get spooked or something. And they get a little defensive. They say, oh, I got Jesus in my heart. And they, they, I go to church. And, but I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure about this. And they get, they get a little hesitant. And the, and the atmosphere in the whole room, I've watched a whole tabernacle with two or three thousand people, I've watched a whole tabernacle go when the guy was talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. They don't know what to do with this. And, and, but, you know, the guys who were talking about fear and sometimes there's a hesitancy this is part of the unfolding plan. It's, you can trust Jesus. He's got a plan. And his plan is for us to seek his spirit. We can trust him. And the Holy Spirit is pure, righteous, and holy. He's not going to hurt us. And you can be open. Sometimes people are fearful to surrender. Surrender their hearts. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be filled. But whoever, Jesus said to the woman at the well, whoever drinks of this water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. Live in hunger. Live in passion for God. Uh, be a constant seeker and dreamer of what God's going to do through your life, through his spirit. And a constant learner, asking, seeking, knocking. The oldest, what I'm amazed about these two guys I'm with, is they just feel like, what's next? I need more. I need, I, I need more empowerment. We need more of God's spirit. We're still seeking God. What does he want to do with us now, the rest of our lives, in a different season of life? Beyond getting saved, which is the epitome, the cross and what Jesus does to save us is the heart of the gospel. But the working of God's spirit in us is the, is the lifeblood of our day-by-day -day future growth and future 
effectiveness in ministry, future boldness in proclaiming him. Do you know that the main sign of the power of the Spirit in the book of Acts, if you really study it, is not the gifts of the Spirit. It's the boldness and the courage and the, and the, the strength of the disciples and what happened in their lives to proclaim the gospel and to live it out and to heal people and to work with people and to lead people to know Christ. Hmm. There's the last thing I want to say about the gift of the Spirit in our lives. There is nobody, there's no one, there's no thing. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can transform our hearts and change us and make us new. The, the transforming that needs to happen in your life and in my life as we live for Jesus can only happen from him. This is where pride turns to humility. The Holy Spirit can help us with arrogance turning to meekness, from hate to love. There's people in this room right now in a crowd this big for this morning, even at 9 o'clock in the morning, or I guess we're at 10 o'clock, a little later. Somebody in this room, maybe more than one of us, are struggling with hate towards someone. Only the Holy Spirit can heal your heart of hate as you receive him and his ministry to you to give you the love of God. That's what happened to me. You might not be able to stand a person, can't stand a person, but he can teach you to love that person. Prejudice turns to blind, colorless, no conditions, agape, love. Bitterness and resentment turns to forgiveness and grace. Hardness of heart turns to flexible clay and moldable. I tell you, to this day, the, let me, let me back up. I'm just going to tell you a story. My brother Charlie and I, these guys, some of you know my brother Charlie. He's two years younger than I am. And um, we grew up together scrappy. We were the second, we were the last two of five. And my uh, mother, we, we, we tell the story, she had two litters. She had two boys born in 35 and 7 and and two born in 51 and 53. And but anyway, Charlie and I were scrappers, young boys, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, just fought a lot. And I, felt, I just felt negative about some of my childhood, especially my relationship with my little brother, Charlie. We fought, scrapped, competitive. And it was, my mother would, the most oft-quoted verse was, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted. And Charlie and I, one, one night, I really got right with the Lord at church, and I think it was, some, it was either a Sunday night service or it was a revival, when I just really, I was about, right about 13, 14 in there, and I just gave it all to God, and I hated all this hate and this for my brother that was inside of me. And... And I just surrendered my life to the Lord. And I've had many encounters. By the way, I've had many post-salvation encounters, more than, more than just one. I've had three or four encounters and several other just experiences with the Holy Spirit that have, that have helped me and empowered me through some stuff. But, you know, this one here is, 
I remember standing in the kitchen. I know where I was when I was about 13. My brother Charlie's over by the refrigerator, two years younger than me. As I said, and I, I just said, I thought, I had the thought, wow, I don't hate my brother anymore. I just, my heart was changed. I said, I love my brother Charlie. <laughs> Where'd that come from? It was like, I just couldn't believe it. My heart was just unloaded, all the bitterness and all the competitiveness and the fighting spirit in my brother Charlie. It was gone. The single most important evidence of the existence of God is today, for me, just me personally, is the fact that God Almighty, through the Holy Spirit, changed my heart towards my little brother Charlie. And it's never been the same since. We've never, I don't think we've ever, I don't think we've ever had an angry word with each other since for the last six, seven, sixty some years. And um, so he, the Holy Spirit wants to come and change us and purifies us. Uh, don't, and here's another thing. 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light, he is in the light. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. We have fellowship with one another and he is cleanses us from sin. He purifies. This Holy Spirit wants to purify and cleanse us from our sins and from the effect of them. He can do that. Wow. Well, I feel like I'm done. I just feel like the Holy Spirit wants to come and minister to us. And... Uh, at the close of this, and I think the team wants to come, we want the worship team to come, but I want us to just stay focused now on this most precious, the ultimate gift promised by the Lord Jesus to us, his spirit. And maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in some realm or something has come up, and you have a thought in mind that you need prayer or that you want to pray. And you can pray where you're at there. You can come and stand or sit in the front row. We're going to be people to pray. And you don't have to come up here to make us feel better. It's not that. It's whatever's in your heart to do in responding to God. The pastor's told me that you respond in all different kinds of ways here at the end of services. But as we go into this conference on the Holy Spirit, we just want you to know that begin with the Holy Spirit's here to help us to love us he's our advocate he's our helper he's our comforter he's our healer and you can come and you can stand sit or kneel or where you're at we're all going to stand together as the, as the team leads us thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church podcast again if you have questions visit us at summitniles.com now go and be the church in the world.